Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward to speaking today to Emily Henline. Emily is Executive GM of Design and Research with Zero. She's based here in New Zealand and manages a rapidly expanding international team across North America, Europe and the Asia Pacific. Emily is originally from the US and she started her career with Amazon before moving to join Microsoft and later joining US department store chain Sears as part of their technology turnaround. Emily's passionate about user experience, product design, and putting the customer at the center. In 2019, she moved to New Zealand with her Kiwi husband, hoping to put into practice her yoga training as a teacher and enjoy a peaceful life. Her plans were frustrated, however, by the opportunity of creating a global design team for Zero. And I can't wait to hear more about Emily and her career today. Kia ora, Emily, and thank you very much for joining me. Hi, Anna. Thanks so much for having me. Good. Great to have you here. Now, my first question is going to take you a little way back. And I'd love you to think that, Emily, when you were a child or maybe even as you were growing up into being a teenager, what kind of careers were you thinking about? You know, it's an interesting question. And I'm going to sound intensely generic here, but I was definitely one of those kids that wanted to be either a doctor or a lawyer. I grew up in a family where law was at the forefront. And so I As I was moving through middle school and high school, I quickly realized that science wasn't my strength. (laughs) So I I then pivoted more towards the law side, even going into debate club and philosophy. So I really like, I literally thought that was going to be the career I was going to head on. Mm, How interesting. And I think often, you know, when we are growing up, we maybe have a slightly narrow view of what careers are even out there and probably things like user experience, product design, maybe not part of the the standard careers, but of course, they're absolutely the careers of now and of the future as well. What then led you down the the path that you headed and, and then into Microsoft? Yeah. So what's, what's funny is I was at a party in college and somebody was like, oh, you know, have you heard of New Zealand? You should consider studying abroad down there. And I hadn't heard of New Zealand at the time. I'm from Kentucky. So Uh, My global geography was limited. And I went to the studies, international studies office the next day and literally signed up to study at the University of Otago. So the next year, I went down for a semester to Dunedin. And I left Middlebury, Vermont, which is where I was studying with three law applications on my desk. I kid you not. Because I, at that point, had made the decision I was going to go into environmental law And while I was hiking the Abel Tasman track with a couple of guys that we bought in like 1970s Triumph and did what I think the stereotypical international students do when they come to New Zealand, we bought a car and then we just, we did a bunch of hiking around the country. And I had this epiphany on the track that I actually wanted to be in the creative space. And I went back to Vermont. I tried to change my major my senior year, the school was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You're not changing your major. And then 
from that point, once I graduated college, I was on a mission to forge a path into the design world. How fascinating. And I didn't know you studied here in New Zealand. And what was it? You know, you said you made that switch from, okay, it's not going to be law, it's going to be something more creative. And actually, it's perhaps more the design side. Yeah. What was it about product design that really appealed to you? I started product design like back even really before the mobile device was around or even the iPad for that matter. I think that for me, I was always into graphic design and just, you know, how things appeared in the world and color and typography. And I had I have quite an intense attention to detail while I was an intern at a like hipster design studio in Seattle. I ended up being put on a project that was web design for the first time I'd ever done it. I loved it. I loved the idea that you can create something that's that isn't permanent. That's what's that's the thing with graphic design, right? Like if you print it, that's it. And if there's a problem with it, you're not going to fix it. And so there's this fluidity and ability to sort of constantly change or improve an experience when you when you tackle it digitally. And so that's from there, I was at that, you know, did that internship and then I moved. That was when I then stepped into Amazon. And so tell me then about the first few years of of your career there. What were some of the highlights, but also maybe some of the challenges? (laughs) Yeah. So I worked at Amazon early on. I almost don't even want to tell you the dates because it's really going to date me. But (laughs) uh, the whole company could fit literally in one building when I started. It was a real sort of startup mindset and mentality for a company that would go on to be one of the sort of boldest and greatest companies on the planet, really. And I I sort of think of it as the step in my career that was really almost like a university-styled experience, right? I'm a voracious learner, so I was just picking up everything, right? Learning about like the value of the customer and how important the customer is because that's drilled into you at a company like Amazon right out of the gate. I learned a ton about research and usability. I learned a lot about the science of design because you go to amazon.com, it's not a beautiful experience, but it's so easy. And that ease comes from really understanding the simplicity, how to make things as simple as possible through a UI. Then I got sort of, picked with a few other folks around the company to to work on another sort of startup inside of Amazon where you take that Amazon engine, so to speak, and then you build e-commerce experiences on top of it. So my first sort of big feather in my cap was the redesign of the Marks and Spencer site. I did Timex. We did Diane von Furstenberg. And so it was a real baptism by fire, really, in learning how to design whole experiences and really have an opportunity to own how those experiences manifested online. Mm, What brilliant experiences and exposure early on in your career. And as you say, it's fascinating to see how Amazon has got on. And I think that customer obsession still remains at the heart of what they do. And then tell me a little bit more. You worked at Microsoft for a while, then I think did a bit of consulting for yourself, worked at Sears. Tell me a bit about that journey. Yeah. So I think it's important to note that while I was sort of coming to the end of my tenure at Amazon, I, I, my husband and I had sort of decided we were ready to have kids. And the environment at Amazon was very intense. You know, asked before about challenges. And I really struggled at that part of my life to find the work, right work-life balance. So I ended up looking for companies that potentially had a better balance. And Microsoft really ticked that box, right? They were Cadillac of benefits in terms of the tech sector. 
in Seattle, it really opened my eyes to what the people management world looked like. And it opened my eye, like it's, it's at the time was 90,000 people, right? So it also opened my eyes to, holy smokes, this is a huge company and, and, what it, and how do you navigate that? And so I spent several years there really honing my skills around people management because they had an amazing sort of support system for that. I also had opportunities to design the YouTube, a YouTube competitor. I've never worked on an experience that went into direct competition with something like a YouTube. We also had the opportunity to design MSN.com on the iPad before the iPad was even introduced to the world. Like we were Googling for sketches online to see if there was, if anything had been leaked. And then I also had an amazing opportunity to lay the groundwork for what MSN social media play was gonna be, because this was during the rise of Facebook, back when Facebook required you to have a .edu account. The way I look at my career is every company I've been in, I've had a sort of an amazing opportunity to learn and expand or bring a new building block in. And then when I left Microsoft, it was a real, my career really sort of shot up because then I moved into a director role at Yale UK. And so I started to get a, a better taste of what it meant to be in a leadership team of a business and also understanding sort of the regional nuances of working in a hyper-global company. And then at Sears Home Services, that's a 300,000 person company. We were then brought in to basically create a startup. And what did that look like in the belly of a beast that size? How do we stay nimble and agile and, and creative in an environment where you're sort of surrounded by a lot of process? So it's each step of the journey has been really, I do feel like it has been stairs up to where I am today, if that makes sense. Mm, it absolutely does. And I'm interested, you, you said in sort of a large organization, how do you still stay nimble and creative and, and agile? How did you, what were the way, what were the things that, that helped that? Well, some of it was really like getting back to basics as a sort of creative human, right? So we would run activities like, design hackathons, where it was really just the design team that would go offline and think through different problems or put our, ourselves in a future headspace. There were a lot of opportunities to go for field trips. I mean, when I say back to base, literally like go to art museums. We also did, I remember even at Amazon, we did an art show. For the creative piece, you do have to go back to how you are creative, what makes you creative. And there's a lot of things that you can do that are outside of sitting in front of a computer or on your mobile device. In terms of staying nimble and agile, it's a great question. <laughs> it's a struggle. <laughs> it's not easy. And I think it takes perseverance and tenacity really to just, you forge it, continue to forge ahead. You make decisions knowing that's not all of them are gonna be right. And that's okay. That's why we work in the digital space because we can always go back and fix them. Mm, I think that's a really interesting point actually about the digital space, how actually it is ever-changing and if something's not quite right first time, that kind of fell fast, right? Learn, move on, enables probably more of that agility. Yeah, fascinating. I also think you're absolutely right, sitting in front of a computer screen, it's not the most creative or inspiring spot to be. So getting out and getting inspiration from all other parts of the world. Yeah, really, really good advice. What then was the, the journey to joining Zero? Yeah. So like you mentioned during the intro, coming into Zero was not in the plan. <laughs> so we left Seattle, which 
we came down in 2016, sort of the end of 2016, and we'd been talking about for years. It was like a joke amongst our friends in Seattle, like, okay, we're going to move to New Zealand in two years. Then it was five years. And 10 years later, we still hadn't moved. 15 years later, we still hadn't moved. And we were down here in 2016, and we sort of looked at each other, and our children at that point were probably 10 and 7. And we said, or no, 9 and nine and 6. And we said, it's time. We got to do this. Even though the Auckland housing prices literally blew our minds, I was like, where am I? We just decided this this was the right thing to do. So it took us about 18 months to extract out. And during that period, I was doing a lot of soul searching, right? I was calling like psychics in Alaska and I was, uh, you know, I'm a yogi. I'm a twice certified yoga teacher. So I was doing a ton of yoga and meditation and I was really leaning in to the mindfulness program we started at an elementary school that our daughter was going to. And so I was really trying to figure out what was I going to do when I came to New Zealand? Because I felt like this is my opportunity to do something different. So we came down and it turned out that it took a lot longer than expected to get the kids settled. So I ended up taking about a year off, which what I've learned about myself, I'm an extrinsically motivated human, not an intrinsically motivated human. So for me, taking 12 months off actually wasn't great. So I, a friend, a recruiter actually that had, I had worked with in 2016 called and was like, I think you should talk to the people at Zero. And I was like, I don't know. You know, I want to get into the wellness space. And he was like, just trust me on this one. And I kid you not, it was just like instant fireworks. And every person I met, I walked out energized after. And it was just, it was amazing to see, to navigate inside a tech company interview process where kindness and human and vulnerability were very much sort of at the core of what that experience looked like. And after several months of going back and forth, I I took the job. Fantastic. And you never know where paths are going to take us and where conversations might take us. And you said sometimes just going and listening and seeing and then going, ah, okay, where's my energy? Is it here? That that, that instinct is often often a good one. Mm. And so what do you love about your work that you do today? Ah, well, I've been, I was thinking about, I've been thinking about this a lot actually over, because I've been here almost um, two years. And I think for me, first and foremost is I love the people that I work with. I love my peers who I'm sort of partners in crime with. And I, I just adore my team. And I love the fact that I get to come to work with these people and solve a vast array of problems and how at the heart of what we're doing, we really are, comes back to wanting the small business to thrive. I love that, like under, like accountants and bookkeepers. I, I, I had an accountant and I had a bookkeeper, but now I'm like deeply in the psyche of what, what that customer looks like and all the opportunities there are to make that better. And honestly, just being able to wake up every morning and get to sort of live and breathe design with people that you really like working with. I feel really fortunate and very grateful that I've landed here, honestly. Wonderful. And I can hear that energy coming through in your in your voice as well. 
And we've talked about perhaps some of those, couple of those early challenges, particularly around balance. Yeah. But as you look back on your your kind of career to date, I guess no career is ever easy and all smooth sailing. What have been some of your toughest challenges or moments? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think for me, finding, I actually have been hearing a term lately, work-life harmony instead of work-life balance, because balance tends to connect to sort of numbers or percentages, whereas harmony is much more around the energy around it. And I think for me, early on, because I was in such an intense tech scene, right? It was like the start of some of the, you know, most powerful companies in the tech industry. My inner, I put so much energy into my job that I lost sort of perspective on what what's really important. I'm a person that works to live, not lives to work. So for me, finding that harmony meant leaning into stuff that I needed to do in my personal side, right? So I got into yoga and decided to do a teacher training while I was, after I'd had my first child at, while I was at Microsoft. And then when I left Microsoft, I literally picked up the kids and my husband flew over with us and we went and lived in India for six weeks for me to do another teacher training. And so I had to do a lot of exploration of myself to understand what was going to help me get better harmony between work and life. And then I would say if a specific challenge would be getting hit with a global pandemic and being tasked with hiring over 100 people in the design and research world, which a team of 150 is a big team for design and research in any company, really, unless you're going to go like 90,000 person company, then it's like a different kettle of fish. But hiring everyone via video, never meeting anyone in person. How do we make their experience comfortable and exciting and energizing? So for me, it was a real personal challenge. It was exhausting, right? Because you spend all day interviewing and then you bring people in. And then how do you keep the culture when you're stuck behind a screen? And you don't know what other people's personal pandemic challenges are because we've got folks in the U.S., which was quite a terrible experience. And then we have folks in Australia, New Zealand, soon to be the U.K. And so I would say that was the biggest challenge of my career. Mm, And that sounds like a huge challenge. And you may have been having your own challenges in terms of the workload, or I'm guessing different time zones, trying to hire people around the world and needing to hire that volume of people, but also almost taking on other people's challenges too about how they're feeling and hoping that they're feeling okay and that they're feeling energized and they're settling in all right, taking that on as well. How did you cope personally through that time? For me, I spent a lot of time doing yoga. I, like, I can't stress enough how much the mat is a centerpiece to me maintaining a level mindset at my job. In fact, I've got my mat rolled outside. I'm going to go do, I always do yoga at some point during the day, even if it's just 20 minutes. I really tapped into vulnerability because I think at, during that period, especially when we were in that hardcore lockdown and the whole world was essentially really tapping into that vulnerability and and it being okay to show that at work. It's really hard to keep a mask on or to put a front up because you want everyone to feel like, okay, well, she's leading us down this path and she's holding it together, that mindset. Whereas I just decided to kind of rip the bandaid off and be like, I'm suffering too. 
and let's actually work through this together. And what do, what do you need? What do I need? I was very honest with the team about what I needed and they were very honest with me about what they needed. And so I think that was, that was really critical. And I'm an exercise junkie. So I also found that I leaned a lot into exercise to help shake, rattle the energetic field, so to speak. Mm, And I think you talk about that kind of the energy and energy can come in different ways. Sometimes it's nervous or anxious energy. And so maybe expending that in a different way can help bring a bit more calm too. Yeah. And you've talked about yoga as being really sort of cornerstone for you. The exercise is helpful. What else helps you find to find I'm going to say, won't say balance, work-life harmony for, for you. It's, it's interesting you ask this. I've, I've been thinking a lot about reframing, the term reframing. I think that we, we have a lot that's in our control, even though at times it feels like we don't have it in our control, but we do. And so I've personally been working on how do I reframe the situation? So if I go into a meeting and I'm like, wow, this isn't going how I thought it was going to go, or, or I start to get that, oh, here comes negative Nelly, that's going to just start to get us into a ne- negative feedback loop. I really take a moment and just sit with that and then think about how I can reframe it or take the opportunity to pull someone aside and say, how could you have sort of approached that differently? That, and that reframing is a great tool to use at home as well, right? So when you're sitting down and your kids, I've got a 13-year-old daughter, holy smokes, put your seatbelt on. So, and I feel like no one warns you of this. (laughs) And we spend a lot of time reframing. We spend a lot of time taking the problem that's in front of us and then thinking about how could we have potentially, how could she potentially look at that with a more positive mindset or what could she do differently? And so I, for me, that's been a game-changing tactic to, to the work-life harmony, the energy, right? It's very draining to be negative. It's easy to be negative. It's draining to be negative. So how can we reframe? It's not only the physical side for you. It's also more the mental side, the, the thoughts yes. and feelings and figuring out actually which one of those maybe I've got a wee bit more control over and, and reframe those. And I wanted to ask you, Minnie, you've come through, I'm guessing, fairly male-dominated environments in terms of the tech space. And have there been any particular challenges or obstacles you might have faced as a woman in your career? Yeah. So for me, the first, I would say, 10 years of my career, I was often the only woman in the room. What I would find is the persona I would bring into that room was likely a different persona from who I was at the core, right? So I would say that it, that can be a tiring exercise because you, you're sort of navigating dynamics in a room that are different from what you would, what you would have if it was a more balanced meeting environment, if that makes sense. Mm, it does. Yeah. So I feel like the challenge was being able to be forthright and strong and not be assigned a word or a behavior when I was acting the same as my peers, if that makes sense. So for me, I really worked, I had to work very hard to try and walk that line because back then it was quite easy to, to be assigned 
a negative word if you were strong-willed or strong-minded. I don't see that today. In fact, I don't see it as much today because I'm working in an environment that's much more balanced. In fact, I think, I don't know the exact statistic, but just in our Zero's leadership team, I think think it's half of the leadership team's female. And then when you go down into my peers, I report into the chief product officer, who's a female, half of us, you know, are female. So the balance, it's, it's a really nice balance. So I would say, yeah, that would probably capture the challenge. I don't necessarily have an incident that I can remember. I think it would just always sort of stuck in my mind. Wow. I'm the only woman in here. Mm, and how can you be true to yourself with at the same time? And I really liked you talked about kind of walking walking the line almost. And I think that's, yes, I don't think it is such a challenge as it maybe was 15, 20 years ago, but I think it's still a challenge for a lot of women, particularly if they are one of just a single woman or, or maybe in only one or two in a room. Personally, I'm a highly empathetic human, woman. So I worked really hard. I think what we were talking about before was like the balancing, the walking the line, right? And I I worked really hard to try and have that empathy alongside this the strength and the forthrightness because I think the empathy and vulnerability was important to have as part of the environment. Mm, I would I would agree. And I think how do you find that warmth and strength and find a way to combine them and to connect with people and then to lead with strength? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And as you look back at your career to date, I guess we've talked about some of the more challenging bits. To flip that bit around, what have been some of your proudest career moments? Mm, getting the job at Amazon was a really big deal for me. In fact, that was a, a almost a game-changing moment for my career. It, it set me up for, I feel like, where I am today. I would say when the Zero team, and I'm going to jump around a little bit versus be linear, when the Zero team design team hit 100, that was a major milestone that everyone, the whole team, just we all were just like, holy cow, we did it. And it was this amazing moment in time in the, in the company where design was 100% starting to find its voice. And then it Another one, I, I worked for a company called Yell UK, which was basically like the yellow pages, the physical yellow pages. I don't know if they had the, the yellow pages in New Zealand, but, and they were looking to go digital. And so one of my remits while I was there was working with about 400 production artists in India and the Philippines. And the idea was, can we actually have a New York or San Francisco level studio output from a production artist company in either India or or the Philippines. And so it was a super exciting project and it was breaking new ground because it wasn't something that had been addressed before. And I went down, I was in India. I I went to both India and the Philippines. And in both locations, I had two people walk up to me in tears and hug me and thank me for giving them an opportunity to be creative. And that was a milestone moment for me because not only am I, do I have a soft spot for India, just anyways, but because it was like, you can start to see that how the power of your work affects people. It doesn't have to affect an executive in the business. It can affect any human 
right? And it was really, I think I cried too. I, I cry easily. <laughs> and I, yeah. So I would say those are, those are probably a handful of my proudest moments. Mm, fantastic. And, and I have to admit, in doing this podcast, it's been wonderful for me when I ask that question. So often the answers come back to the impact you've had on a person's life. And that very kind of personal human connection, touch, inspiration, whatever it might be, it's mm. not necessarily the big fancy things. It's very often actually, gosh, I've in some way, shape or form helped to make somebody's life better. And I just have a last question for you, Emily. What career advice would you have for, for other women? I think it's really important in your career to be really true to yourself about what brings you joy and what what helps you thrive because you spend a lot of time in your career or in your job. So can you find a path that nourishes you and pushes you and grows you so that you can have that work-life harmony? I think it's really important. I think we can get sucked up in the job and when we get sucked up in the job, we can lose perspective. And then once we learn lose perspective, you can start to see things go, go really out of balance, whether it's your health, your home life, relationships at work. I mean, a, another way that I've thought about this when, especially because I do, I mentor quite a few women. I also spend a lot of time talking to other women who are in big careers and nine, 90% of the time it's about balance. And I guess actually the best career advice I can give is that you're in total control of that. So own that and make the, ex- the career or the job or the experience that you're currently in work for you. And if, if, that, if that requires tough conversations or a, a shift in mindset, then lean into that. You'd be surprised at what can change if you're honest about what you need. At the end of the day, you you own that. And I think that's important. I think we forget that sometimes. I think we often do. I know I certainly do sometimes feel like my work owns me and, and stopping to think actually about, well, what, what do I need to make it work better and taking more ownership and she said sometimes having those tough conversations to ask mm. for what you need can can absolutely help. Yeah, the best advice I was ever given when it came to something like negotiating, which with, with for women can be hard, was ask for something that feels a little bit ridiculous and then don't say another word. And so it's it which is a great negotiation tactic, but it is a it's interesting when it comes to your career as well like Go and ask for what you need, it, but don't you don't need to belabor it or add a bunch of language around it. Just say, I need X. You'd be surprised what can come from that. You know, I certainly know with negotiation that that piece about absolutely silences power within negotiation, absolutely true. Yeah. But also I think as women, we will talk around it rather than just sort of laying it out and saying, this is what I need and being quiet. We'll go, only if it's not too much trouble, but you don't worry if you can't do that. It's sort of adding on all those other bits of fluff around the outside, which aren't necessarily helpful. So being actually really clear in, in what you're asking, absolutely, it's, that's super advice. Yeah. And I think just one more thing around career, around opportunities, that sometimes the most amazing opportunities are in literally the most unexpected places. I mean, look, look at my situation. I came down to New Zealand thinking, oh, I'm going to become a 
yoga teacher full time. And now I'm in the hardest job of my career and I'm loving it. And even back to that point of time when your, your, your career thoughts or direction might come from the unexpected places. You were the hiking the Abel Tasman halfway around the world and suddenly had this thought, actually, this, I want to do something totally different. That's probably not what you would have expected to have that kind of an epiphany. Yeah. And, and listen to that because oftentimes that intuition, the female intuition is a powerful, powerful thing. And oftentimes that intuition can lead to really amazing things. Mm, it can. Yeah. Emily, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today and hear about your career and those different roles along the way, the things that you've learned from each, your approach to balance or harmony and what helps you, but also how you've tackled into some of those challenges that you faced along the way. Thanks so much for, uh, for sharing your journey. Yeah, thanks, Anna. This has been a lot of fun, so thank you. You're welcome. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Thank you.